evening. Welcome to those of you who have just arrived. So, what do we have on our collective mind tonight? I could just ask if anybody would allow me to spend the night in your home tonight and need a place to stay. And I have a mattress pad and a pillow and a sleeping bag in my car, so I don't need a bed if you don't have a bed. Is there anybody who would let me stay in the house? Would it be all right? Thank you. I'll you Thanks. Good. Okay. All right, that's taken care of. What do we have on our mind? Would you mind, I know you've talked about this a lot, but would you mind talking about um, some of the methods, again, for correcting agitation and dullness, um, which I know bring your mind back and bring your mind up, and mm-hmm. is there more <coughs> you can talk about? Well, <coughs> is... is uh, which should we start with, agitation or dullness? Do you have a... Dullness. Dullness? Okay. So, the, the various methods are just ways of stimulating your... basically stimulating your brain. So you're creating... Uh, uh, the way I usually describe it is you want to raise the energy level of your mind because the energy level of your mind tends to fall as you become very focused and, and uh, withdrawn inward from all of the normal sense stimulation which keeps us alert and the constant stream of, of thoughts and concerns which also helps to keep us alert. So our, our mind and our brain depend on, normally depend on, on continuous stimuli. Uh, and then when that is removed, uh, then uh, the, the, the physiological activation of the, uh, the cortex diminishes. But then, when we think in terms of our mind, our, our mind actually, you know, we experience that subjectively as being de-energized. And then, to compound that uh, is, of course, all of the conditioning, all of our life, uh, coupled with the innate tendency that when we, when we go into a quiet state and we withdraw our attention from the outer world, we usually intend to go to sleep. And so this is what we're we're having to train the mind to do something different in in the face of that. But all of the remedies involve increasing in one way or another the stimulation of the brain and the energy of the mind. So the very simplest of all is and this only works if the dullness is the have the absolute mildest sort and you're catching it just right at the beginning is to just generate the intention to have a clearer, more vivid awareness of the uh, meditation object. And uh, so, but that's a remedy that probably a person asking this question is not going to have too much opportunity to use. <laughs> because to use to for that to be successful you have to uh, you have to be able to recognize dullness when it starts to develop in its very earliest and most subtle stages and you have to have the degree of introspective awareness and vigilance so that you are alert to noticing it so most of the remedies are, involve something stronger than that but uh, um, and then, uh, once again, if I'm, I would answer a similar question a few days ago, 
And at that time, I was thinking, I always started out with the, the mildest remedies and worked my way up to the strongest one. And I keep wondering, you know, considering that that's not the way is it, it happens in the development of the meditation practice, if that, if that makes sense. But, but I think it does, because I, I think it makes the, the point clear. Okay. A little bit stronger way to stimulate the mind is actually just simply to, uh, you've had your attention very narrowly focused on sensations at the tip of your nose. Expand that awareness to be aware of the sensations in your whole body, to be aware of the ambient sounds, uh, the feeling of the air on your skin, there is, your mind will naturally uh, project an awareness of the space that you're in. So if you do that, you're basically reactivating your sensory awareness of, uh, of external stimuli. So you're, you're not really doing anything physically different, but you're opening the gateway, so to speak, to allow more stimuli to, to reach the, uh, the that part of our, our mind where we experience conscious awareness of sensations. I mean, the sensations are always there, as you know. But when we're very turned inward, we're unaware of the sensations. So by becoming aware of them, we're stimulating the mind. And of course, we're stimulating the brain as well, because this actually, uh, this is a reflection of what's happening in the brain. Uh, you know, so more sensory stimuli is making it into higher levels of, of the brain and, and waking it up. So uh, now, if this is like I say, it's a it's a little bit stronger way to stimulate your mind than uh, just uh, refocusing your awareness on the breath, uh, and it's actually quite a bit stronger. Uh, but it still assumes that the dullness isn't very, very strong. And uh, it usually corrects it fairly quickly. But you can, uh, you know, you can go ahead and uh, uh, just be aware of everything for several minutes if you need to. And there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. So uh, I just mentioned that in case you feel like, uh, well, I'm not meditating anymore. Well, actually... In, the, in consideration of the fact that where your attention is directed and in terms of, of uh, your uh, mental activity being under your intentional control, you are still meditating. So you can take a few minutes to expand your awareness and see if that wakes you, wakes you up a bit, makes you more alert, brings the meditation object back to a state of clarity and vividness. Now that doesn't work. There's ways of producing stronger stimulation. Um, one of them is that you deliberately take a very deep breath and then you exhale slowly. And if you're not in the company of a lot of other people where you'll disturb them, you exhale against a resistance. And that often just kind of supercharges your brain. Do that two or three times and you're, you're wide awake. Which isn't to say that if the dullness is strong, it might not come back five minutes later and you find you need to do it again. But that's quite all right. I mean, you know, if you if you meditate for an hour and do that 12 times every five minutes, you have a perfect meditation. <laughs> because as soon as you recognize the need to do something, you took the appropriate action. Right? And you are training the mind. You're, by doing this repeatedly, you're conditioning the mind to behave in a way different than it normally does. A very similar way of stimulating your mind is to, uh, and this is a lot quieter, uh, less disturbing to somebody else if you're sitting in a a retreat setting, is just to tense up all the muscles in your body, hold them, and then release them all of a sudden. And of course, that's a very powerful stimulation of, of your nervous system. You know, both the motor systems and the sensory systems get a blast of of uh, stimulation from that. And that can usually wake you up pretty good. The uh, 
the most drastic way of overcoming uh, dullness is to stand up. But that will work. You can meditate standing up. <laughs> and, of course, if you've, at some point you feel it's no longer necessary to stand up, sit back down again. But, you know, there's... Uh, and, and standing is... Uh, there's four classic meditation poses. Uh, lying, si- uh, sitting, standing, and walking. And so that's, you know, that's... Standing is a legitimate way to meditate. It's a difficult way because it becomes painful. Uh, I should say it becomes physically uncomfortable uh, the longer that you stand. Mm-hmm. You know, but it certainly makes you wide awake. Um, <clears throat> and of course, uh, the step beyond that would be walking, and you can do walking meditation as well. Now, there's some other things that you can do. You know, back to when you're still. Uh, sitting that uh, are worth uh, mentioning. You can. Uh, there was one that was just just went through my mind. Come back. I distracted myself. <laughs> it's a good one. It'll come back. Oh, straightening your spine. Straightening your spine. And that, as a matter of fact, no matter what, any time you experience dullness, check to make sure that your, your, your posture is upright. You know? Because uh, to the degree that you allow yourself to become slumped down, uh, that can actually contribute uh, to, uh, to the dullness coming on. A little bit of excessive relaxation of the postural muscles. Not your whole body to be relaxed, but even when you're completely relaxed, there's tone in those postural muscle, muscles of the spine. There's no need to, to, to let that go. So straightening your spine help to, to overcome uh, dullness. So you should actually include that as a part of all these other remedies. If even the very subtle dullness, check to make sure that, you're, that you are not slumping at all. Okay. Um, now, traditionally, uh, it is also recommended that to uh, make the mind more alert, you can do certain kinds of reflections. You can reflect on how short life is and uh, how what great good fortune you have to be born as a human being and have this opportunity to practice the Dharma, and you don't want to sleep it away. Um, I don't know if any of you have ever practiced those kinds of... Uh, have you Have you found them to be very effective? Uh, yeah? It depends on my mood. <laughs> yeah, the, the reason I ask is, is you know, I, I've never done them, which is one of the reasons I <laughs> guess that I, I rarely think to suggest them to people, but they are... They are a, a traditional recommendation: is that you reflect on thir- certain things that that generate a sense of urgency, you know, appreciation for the opportunity, and so on and so forth. So, the only time that death meditation really worked for me was when my mom died, because it was more uh-huh. very immediate, or personal. Yeah. Well. There are some death meditations that are very powerful, but yeah, just uh, but this is just contemplating death as a way to wake yourself up. Which, I mean, it's uh, it's, it's reasonable that it would work. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, and you also ask about agitation. <clears throat> okay, now. Let's just clarify, you mean any and all agitation, which I could go on in great length about, or is there some specific kind of agitation? Uh, Maybe just sometimes, I don't know if I'm, my dreams are, there's not a movement or something in my dreams, I wake up and I'm, now and again, my mind is just racing in the morning sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, that it doesn't settle down mm-hmm. in meditation. Okay, well... There's uh, 
there's there's one kind of agitation that this might be uh, usually called the monkey mind and that's where your mind doesn't stay on any one thing very long but it just is constantly jumping from one thing to another you know just like the image of a monkey you know, swinging from this to that to this to that and never really holding still um, and sometimes you can have a lot of monkey mind but still not lose continuity of the uh, awareness of the breath mm-hmm. and if that's the case just just go with that. Just allow, just allow that to uh, be the nature of your meditation on that particular occasion. Is that you are are applying sufficient uh, direction to your attention to stay with the breath, and you're not worried about the fact that that uh, there's just this rush of other thoughts and awarenesses that, and, and, and you know. Your mind's jumping back and forth from the meditation to object to other things, but you're never really losing the awareness of a whole in-breath or a whole out-breath or things like that. Then you're still practicing fine. Okay. Um, another, it, it's basically the same thing, very subtle difference, but uh, when you're able to say with the meditation object in a more solid way so that so that there's a clearer perception of the sensations of the breath and you're following them and picking up the details but the distractions in the background of your awareness just seem to be a flood of them and they just you know are going at a very rapid rate that's a, that's another very similar to the monkey mind except that you don't have that feeling like your attention's actually jumping back and forth to these other things. It's just all the stuff is in the background. And the same thing is true there, that you really don't need to do anything other than accept that, oh, that's the way my mind is today. My job is just do my best to keep the attention on the meditation object. But if you're not able to stay continuously, if you've got this flood of thoughts and they keep uh, taking you away and you forget and then your mind wanders. Or if the, you have the monkey mind jumping around and, and uh, it doesn't come back to the breath often enough and so you do forget and, and, and lose it. In those cases, uh, I would recommend that you do something to try to, to halt that kind of thought-based activity. You know, it's... Uh, the part of your mind that's concerned with, with thinking is what is very highly active there. And body awareness is a wonderful antidote to that. So shift your awareness to, to your whole body. Explore the sensations. To feel yourself. I, I, this, this is something that's good to do as a beginning of a meditation anytime. But especially in the, if if you have the kind of agitation that I was just talking about, is to first of all be aware of your body as a materially dense object, you know, that's being supported by by the ground against the force of gravity, because there there's those strong sensations that come from the points of contact, and then the the feeling of support of your body all the way from from your legs to your head, the, the weightiness, the solidness, the heaviness of it, and just relax into that and feel supported. And then become aware of bodily sensations, of the, of the tactile sensations, of the sensations from your muscles and joints. And just spend some time in that arena of, of body awareness. That's at least in my experience, that's about as far away from the, the rapidly moving mental uh, activity as as you can get in that situation. And so, just meditate on body sensations until you get some degree of calm, and then try going back to the sensations of the breath. That, that's actually a valuable thing to keep in mind. Uh, that 
the two the two aspects of your mind that are most predominant when you're sitting quietly when your eyes close are the part of your mind that produces thoughts and the awareness of your body those are the two strongest and it's a very effective technique that when you want to calm and still the mind to use the sensations of the body to do that your mind is rather limited in its ability to to manage awareness in two such totally distinct cognitive domains as bodily sensation and thought processes and so you can use the one to pull the the awareness uh, and therefore the energy away from the other and bring yourself more into a state of calmness I would also suggest that if you ever find yourself having trouble sleeping and or maybe wake up in the middle of the night and you have trouble going back to sleep is meditate on body sensations and uh, that will help to calm and quiet your mind sometimes you you said you wake up in the morning after a dream it's agitated the mind but sometimes you might have the experience you wake up at two in the morning after a dream and your mind just won't stop and then it's three and then it's three thirty and it's so you know if you meditate on body sensations it might allow you to go to sleep uh, even if it doesn't it will calm your mind and probably be far more restful than just continuing to struggle against that constant stream of mental activity mm-hmm. but yeah use use body sensations as an antidote to excessive mental uh, thought type activity yeah. You're welcome yeah I was just thinking, I haven't heard you, I don't know if you've ever mentioned it um, in person, but one of the things I found really helpful recently, kind of piggybacking on that, is uh, uh, not not using verbal commentary uh, mm-hmm. during meditation. How And I've seen that serve me too. Um, and I don't know what it depends on necessarily. Sometimes it's really helpful to kind of keep a running narrative to, to stay with the meditation mm-hmm. object, but like you pointed out in, chapter it also there's so much kind of semantic content mm-hmm. that it's really easy to get lost in words when your mind is really amped up yeah. I'm thinking maybe it's it's kind of more useful I guess when you're feeling a bit duller to um because they're two kind of opposite spectrums when you're more in the dullness to use that commentary to stay with the object but when you're really amped up and your mind's tending to grasp on anything and go off mm-hmm. on tangents that maybe that's when it's better to to try to work with it non-verbally but I just it was something that worked really well for me um, a couple of days ago so mm-hmm. I wasn't maybe maybe there's more you could add to that too I, I think you expressed it fairly well didn't you or, or <laughs> <laughs> yeah it is uh, yeah. thank you it's a, it's a good yeah the, you know up to a certain point in your practice a lot of the time you're going to have that inner narrative going on and um, you can use, sometimes you can use it. Sometimes it can, you know, if if you can get that uh, inner narrative focused on on the practice, on the moment, on your current state of mind, on the clarity with which you're able to observe the meditation object, then it it keeps that narrative from getting into other areas and and distracting you. And sometimes, too, if you're having trouble staying focused, the narrative can actually help you to stay focused. But there is, of course, a certain point where uh, you really need to discard it. You know, and, uh, it's, uh, and, and I would say, rather than try to describe to you uh, how do you judge when you need to discard it, discard it as soon as you think you can. <laughs> you know, don't try to stop it though. Try to what you do is you disregard it. The little voice going yeah 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 yeah. Don't try to make it stop. I mean, you can you can shut it up for a short period of time, not very long though, right? Mm-hmm. You shut it, it starts up again right away. So don't try to shut it up, but practice just ignoring it. Let it go on yeah yeah yeah. Don't pay any attention. 
one of the things that's really interesting about, you know, we're discussing this, and uh, there's so much that is revealed in meditation that you, you just need to remember to notice. And that's, you know, how is this that there's one part of your mind that has an intention to observe the sensations of your breath, and another part of your mind that's talking about stuff to you, and it is so different that you could almost be talking about two different beings, yet they're both in your head. Right? <laughs> so this is this is very revealing, uh, you know. And I, I, uh, I, I've told you many times, you know, you don't have a mind; you've got many different mental processes, and. Uh, I don't know if you believe me or not, but uh, just look. <laughs> yes. It's sometimes those conversations or, or the talking going on in your mind is. Sometimes I notice it is like nothing to do with me. Like I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't even know who the characters are. <laughs> Where did they come from? Like, mm-hmm. Just like I don't know. It seems strange. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that is a good question. Where do they come from? Yeah. Keep looking. Maybe you'll find out. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. Ho- hopefully, this is helpful in terms of dealing with uh, excessive mental activity. So. But remember always. Accept whatever's happening in your mind without reacting to it emotionally. Find to find the mo- uh, try to find the most effective strategy to fulfill your objectives of meditation, but don't don't react in a negative emotional way to whatever's going on. Whatever's going on is just fine. You know? um, anytime you are dissatisfied with anything, and you experience dissatisfaction and unhappiness, if you look, you'll discover that you are not accepting what's happening. You're rejecting it. You're resisting it. You're wanting something different. And that, that, is, that is the most profound truth that is revealed every time you discover that and you notice it and become aware of it. And so when you're meditating and you find yourself unhappy, not wanting to meditate, you're not enjoying meditation or feeling restless or any of these other kinds of feelings, you know, look and see what you're doing. You're you're rejecting what's happening, you know, you're want, wanting it to be different. And the other the other thing that causes dissatisfactoriness and suffering is attachment. And part of this dissatisfaction that we experience is we've had, quote, better meditation experiences, and we're attached to those. And I want, I want it to be like that today. I don't want this. And so there you are, feeling dissatisfied and, and unhappy. And that mental state is not conducive to producing the kind of meditation that you want anyway. So the most effective way that you have uh, of, uh, of having the kind of meditations that you desire is just to let go of the judging and just accept whatever is and work with it in an appropriate way. And in that way, you're most likely to get uh, have the kind of experience you want anyway. Anything you want, let go of it first. Yes? Would you tell me what you meant by exhaling against resistance? By which? By, you said exhaling against resistance. Did I hear you? I, I, no, I said... Uh, <clears throat> Not sure what I said. I didn't say exhaling. Oh, oh, wait a minute. Maybe you're talking about when I was dealing with dullness. As counteracting. Oh, oh, yes. Okay, yes. I'll explain that. Right. Okay. Yeah. Like, take a deep breath. Purse your lips. Like that. Uh, Sorry. 
I thought you were talking about a different kind of resistance. <laughs> Thank you. Yep. That's fine. Discussion that you and William were having. Mm-hmm. You know, we we're talking about basically concentrating on a single object like the breath versus the present moment. And I've never quite understood why one couldn't develop good concentration on the present moment and whatever happens to come into awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's that's really the question that William has raised. And I tell you, in my experience, it's a really good place to start. You know, and. Uh, because uh, just to recognize how much of the ongoing mental activity that takes us away from our practice has to do with uh, not being in the present, being in the future or the past or thinking about what's going on in some other place. Uh, and, of course, that, that helps to make a beginning, a beginning meditator a little clearer it helps them to understand that oh, oh yeah this is what we're trying to do is we're, we're trying to bring ourselves into the present moment and focusing on a fixed object then is a way of anchoring yourself in the present moment because the sensations of the breath are constantly unfolding instant by instant by instant and so you have to be purely in the present to follow them now and once somebody has really good concentration, of course, then they don't need to worry about the uh, being caught by thoughts coming up and being carried away by them and having long periods of, uh, of just uh, daydreaming or, or thinking or planning or so on and so forth. And so they don't need a fixed object and they can just be in the present moment and be aware of whatever is happening. Um, now, the problem that I would see with somebody trying to develop a high level of skill by just practicing being in the present moment, um, the first is that without some degree of training, something's going to come <coughs> along and carry you away the same way it does with a fixed object. Now, of course, at some point, you the same thing will happen. You'll realize, that, oh, uh, I was supposed to be in a present moment, but I've been off in the past or the future. But there's a lot of subtlety to our thought processes, and it just seems to me that a, an object like the sensations of breath is just, it makes it so much easier to know when you're being when, when you're being carried out of the present moment. That's, that's one reason. Um, and the other concern that I had when William brought this up is that um, the present moment is filled with a vast variety of uh, sensations, and then there's thought processes, and then there's emotions. And there's a huge filter in place uh, that, uh, you know, in any given moment, we are usually only consciously aware of a small proportion of uh, what we could be in the present moment. So, if you, in a relatively untrained mind, you just open up the present moment, you're, you're faced with all of this input and of course, the filter, the, the filter that operates in your mind, is your karmically conditioned selection, which creates your present reality, partly by what you attend to and what you don't, what comes into awareness and doesn't. And so, rather than stepping outside of the mind's ongoing world-constructing process. You're, it just seems to me that it would be a tendency to very easily get lost in it and not be able to see 
uh, how that selection is taking place. So those those were the concerns I had in my mind that I want to talk to William about this further. Theoretically, though, I I can see that uh, you, you know uh, absolutely any. Anything that allows you to exercise intent in terms of how you direct and sustain your attention should ultimately uh, lead to a similar result. Um, and this is really what all of your meditation practice is about. You know, in spite of everything that it seems that it may seem otherwise, the only thing that we can actually do in the sense of doing. I mean, we feel like we're doing, doing all the time, right? We feel very, uh, very involved in, in everything. But the only thing we really do uh, is, uh, in terms, is, uh, has to do with how we use our conscious awareness, what it's applied to and what it's not. And that's what we're training. And also the quality of conscious awareness. And then the other thing that uh, takes place is that we're constantly making decisions, but our decisions are based on intentional decisions. We're making a lot of unconscious decisions. I'm not talking about that. But when you're consciously aware of something and you're, you know, you're making those decisions that are at the level of consciousness, um, they're made on the basis of the information that is present in conscious awareness at the time that you decide. You, know, you, know, you decide whether you're going to have chocolate or vanilla. You decide it on the basis of the thoughts and the emotions and the impulses that arise in conscious awareness uh, in, in that moment. Right? And, of course, there's all kinds of other uh, uh, potential influences in, in your mental makeup that are, are not necessarily part of any particular decision. So, considering that how we use our conscious awareness is really, that, that's the seat of intention. That's the seat of whatever it is that we can refer to as our ability to uh, to actually be more than an automaton, to, to be more than a, a, a highly complex program zombie is, is the function of conscious awareness. And so, to me, any meditation practice is going to exercise those muscles. So, you know, and, and looking at something like being in the present, I can see how it can work. But then it seems to me like I'm, I'm not sure that it's really better or even as good as using a fixed object. Remains to be seen. So if one didn't get lost, it could be just as effective. That's right. If you didn't get lost. And, of course, one of the things that we did end up talking about is the uh, uh, the Zen meditation called Just Sitting, or Shikantaza, which... It's basically up to you to sit there for as long as you need to until you get some control. Yeah. Well, it seems to me with taking the present moment for the meditation object, it would be very easy to fall into the trap of taking the middle concept of the present moment rather than actually being aware of the present moment. <laughs> you're, you're absolutely right. I, I, I agree with you. Uh, yeah. Consciously are un- unconsciously constructing the content of consciousness that that corresponds to your idea of the present moment. <laughs> you're thinking of that and you, you assume, well, I'm aware of the present moment, whereas in actuality you're just you know, thinking about the concept of the yeah. present moment. But then, as long as you can make that concept clear enough and concrete enough, then you've got to fixed meditation object again. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think as you pointed out, Ajahn Brahm goes the other way. He starts out with a wider awareness and then slowly filters yeah. down to, to a more narrow awareness. 
Well, I think most meditation methods do in general. I mean, I was saying present moment awareness is a good way to start. You know, and Ajahn Brahm, that's, you know, he, he talks of, uh, about that at uh, some length in his book of just, you know, be present. And of course, be here now and, and all those other... Uh, but his is kind of the opposite from what a lot of people teach, though. Uh, most teachers teach starting out with a fixed object and then slowly, with the possibility, but then slowly opening the awareness. But he's going from open awareness down to, you know... Down to the fixed object. Down to a fixed object. So yeah. his, it seems almost just the opposite. Given the mind longer to roam, and then he even starts with the breath. He talks about mm-hmm. only being aware of part of it. You don't have to be aware of the whole breath, just parts of the breath. Then you focus on the whole entire breath. Yeah. And I don't know how effective this method is. It'd be interesting to see some students that have yeah. practiced it to see how effective it's been. Well, see, I can feel a lot of my own bias coming out of this. And, and quite honestly, you know, like, what comes up in me is it's like, you know, you're telling, uh, it's like the idea of how can I become a strong athlete without having to do all of this exercise first? You know, like what's the easy way? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and and my bias is that there, there isn't an easy way. You know, <laughs> directing and sustaining the attention that's like developing a muscle and the only way it develops is to use it over and over and over again until you know it does whatever you need it to do <laughs> right. uh, but aren't you developing those same muscles what's or, that or wouldn't you be developing the same muscles uh, you you would be yes if you find if you find a way to uh, but that's the other thing about the way William was presenting it is is that uh, it seems to him that this is a way of meditating that people can make uh, great progress very quickly and without so much effort. Well, yeah, it's a different story. And uh, that's wonderful. We want to see that happen. We'd like to see them be able to do that. But on the other hand, we want to see them make genuine progress, not just feel really good about how their meditation is going and not really have the skills that we need. You know, so so uh, I, I'm really looking forward to, uh, for those of you, William, who on earth is William? <laughs> William, yeah. Uh, Dr. William Chu. Professor of Buddhist Studies at University of the West in Rosemead, California, uh, friend and correspondent, and uh, who I will also be spending some time with when I go to California next week for these retreats. And we are uh, we are both very interested in finding uh, more more effective ways for people to achieve their spiritual goals. Uh, and part of that is finding more effective meditation methods for, for developing concentration, mindful awareness, and equanimity, tranquility, and, and joy. So, so uh, that's, that's who William is. And he He's basically been experimenting with uh, something that is not quite objectless meditation. Instead, it's present moment meditation. And I agree totally that present moment meditation is a wonderful way to start, as Ajahn Brahm suggests. And it's a wonderful thing to get to, which is really what Mahamudra is. Mahamudra and choiceless awareness uh, are objectless meditations, but they assume that you have mastered concentration. You know, if you look at the uh, 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 it, it treaties, uh, the Moonlight Mahamudra translation, about this thick, two inches thick, the first inch is on developing concentration and mindful awareness. Then Part two starts the practice of Mahamudra. <laughs> so, uh, you know, so I agree with Ajahn Brahm, choiceless uh, or objectless meditation uh, 
especially in the form of being in the present moment, is very valuable for uh, as a way for people to to begin and get get grounded in the practice. And I also agree with Mahamudra that it is one of the most powerful insight generating practices that a person can engage in once they develop concentration. So what William is interested in is going to be used in between. So that's what the conversation is about. Anyway, back to your questions and your interests. I'm kind of curious, that, that made me wonder. Um, to me, it seems like the goal, at least the way I understand it, as far forward as I, as I understand it, um, is to get to that place of single-pointed awareness. And I'm kind of thinking from my own experience, too, that it seems like the way to get deeper um, into, into any kind of deeper absorption is to get that crystallization and that single-pointed focus. And that's where it seems like stuff starts to unfold. And, and I, I only imagine, I project that that's kind of how you start getting into the really deeper absorption and jhanas and all that, mm-hmm. assuming that's where you want to go. And I'm wondering, could you get that level of um, kind of crystallized, um, I mean, I guess it wouldn't be single-pointed, but that same kind of crystallization of awareness if you're using the present moment, or would the idea of what you're talking about be to use that as an early stage option with the same end result of wanting to have single-pointed, some type of single-pointed awareness on some type of finite meditation object. Are, are you asking if I think you could do single-pointedness of the jhana type using present moment? Yeah, I guess I was asking two questions, but yeah, so yeah, mostly that. Would, would that first, would that be the, just an alternative starting point, what you guys are talking about? And then you, you go to the same, you, you, progress in the practice the same way of getting some kind of fixed meditation object? Um, or is that something you can you can get into these deeper absorptions with kind of full-minded awareness? I, I don't think maybe I understand the later stages that well, too, so that's probably part of the reason. You don't think you understand which? The later stages that well, so maybe that's... The later stages, yeah. Well, just briefly, you know, uh, um, when you... When you reach the eighth stage, well, when you reach the seventh stage, you have single-pointed concentration. And when you reach the eighth stage, you have effortless single-pointed concentration. Now you can do pretty much anything you want. And at that point, you can take up objectless practice, like Mahamudra. But you can also continue with single-pointedness and take it to to the next further stage. uh, well, you can complete the development of, uh, of, of shamatha, which is basically just finalizing the, the, the training in single-pointedness. But jhana, the absorptions, uh, they, the essence of absorption is that you become absorbed in a... You, you become absorbed in one object of consciousness to the exclusion of all else. You know, so it is the epitome of single-pointedness. So you couldn't do anything that could be described as jhanic that wouldn't be single-pointed. And uh, so you couldn't really get to that without doing some kind of single-pointed practice as well. Present moment is, is narrower than anything goes, but it's a long way from single-pointed. And in the absorptions, you become absorbed into a first in the first absorption into a mental object that has been generated uh, as a result of your single point of concentration, and it's accompanied by a very clearly recognizable mental state, and also by a, a clear, uh, clearly recognizable affective state. And, and bodily uh, happiness and bodily pleasure. And so then you continue in the jhanas as you proceed to further and further refine that single-pointedness. You say, okay, I've shut out all sensory awareness and I'm just focused on this mental object 
and accompanied by the mental state and the feeling of happiness and pleasure. What if I drop the mental object and just be aware of the mental state and the effect? And then, having mastered that, you say, well, what if I disregard the mental state and focus only on the effect? And then you say, well, what if I drop that too and just be aware of the naked mind? So, and then you say, okay, but I here I am, I can enter an absorption into just an awareness of the mind itself, but I still still have a feeling that I'm here at this place in space. Let me, and, and my mind is generating that. Let me dispense with that feeling of of space, and then and you say, okay, well if. If uh, space is, is infinite and unbounded and I'm not in any one location, then consciousness is also infinite. And so I just keep on refining it to the, to the final stage is where, you know, uh, in terms of the, the five skandhas, you drop rupa, you drop feeling, you drop mental formations, there's nothing left but consciousness and perception. So, and uh, so then the, the, you can take it all the way to what's called the base of neither perception nor non-perception. So what this is, is just more and more refined single-pointedness. So jhanas are about single-pointedness. So in terms of these stages, you reach single-pointedness at the seventh stage. You make it effortless at the eighth stage. It's accompanied by, by joy and energy and pleasant feelings. So you refine those until by the time you reach the tenth stage, uh, you have a mental state of joy, happiness and pleasure, but you also have tranquility and equanimity. And you can do any spiritual practice that has ever been uh, thought of very effectively when you have when you have that kind of mind. When you have the mind that's trained in concentration, awareness, and is uh, uh, doesn't stick to anything. Equanimity refers to the reactivity of your mind to whatever you become aware of. In terms of an uh, objectless awareness practice, uh, your mind tends to react to things. You know, I like that, don't like that, like this better, don't like that as much. Um, this is too neutral, I want something more exciting. You know, you, you, you know that's always there. Equanimity just allows it to come and go, come and go. It's just the mind doesn't stick to it at all. And so, even though at the eighth stage you can start practicing uh, a practice, a really, really powerful practice like Mahamudra, until you've achieved the tenth stage, you know, you're still wrestling against your mind, still wanting to grab onto the things rather than liberating them the instant they arise, letting go of them the instant that they come up. getting into technical, advanced uh, meditation discussion. I love it. Are you all up to it? You're with me? You know, you're enjoying it? I'm not boring you still? Oh, okay. <laughs> all right. Uh, in terms, uh, just on, on the same thing to expand a little further. Uh, when you have achieved the, uh, the single-pointedness of the seventh stage or the uh, effortless single-pointedness of the eighth stage, then you can still, instead of just having open awareness, you can still have uh, object-oriented awareness, but without a fixed object. The mind is free to move from one object to another, or to observe things in a sequence. And there's some very valuable sequences that can be observed in this way. Like, for example, as a sensation arises, and then there's a feeling, and then there's the mind's reaction of craving or aversion, and then there's a tendency, and you can watch that unfold. Your mind can go from boom, boom, boom. Because you have this kind of concentration, and because you have this kind of awareness, you can do this. But it's not a fixed object anymore. Your mind will, it doesn't matter that the object is changing like this, or faster than I can snap my fingers. For the time that your mind is in, on any one object, it's on it with total focus. And then it goes to the next with total focus and clarity, and the next with total focus and clarity. 
So this is called, uh, sometimes described as momentary concentration or kanika samadhi. And people misunderstand it. Some people think momentary concentration, that's what I've got all the time. (laughs) I can concentrate for a moment. (laughs) But the momentariness isn't to do with the quality of the concentration. The momentariness has to do with with, uh, the object. The object is only present momentarily. When you have this kind of concentration, then you can be able, you can begin to perceive that all objects arise and pass away. That that the sound of a dog barking is the same as the melody of a piece of music. It's made up of parts. And each part arises and passes away and the next one doesn't come until the first one's gone. But of course that's not how we experience dogs barking. It's actually not how we experience music unless we listen carefully or unless we play a musical instrument. But it's actually the way all of our sensory experience, including our mental experience, happens is one piece at a time arising and passing away in in rapid succession. So when you develop the kind of concentration that we're talking about in the seventh and eighth stages, then you you have the capacity for momentary concentration and you can do the kind of insight practices which rely on that and allow you to have direct experience of, uh, of impermanence, uh, including the impermanence of the mental perception of, uh, of the sensory uh, objects, uh, uh, the sensory stimuli. If you have heard of uh, Vipassana practice in North America, most of the Vipassana practice you talk about in North America is according to a system taught by Mahasi Sayadaw. And it's, uh, it's about developing momentary concentration so that you can observe the arising and passing away of phenomena. As a matter of fact, uh, the, uh, a very important stage in that practice is called knowledge of arising and passing away. Okay, now I must be boring. Anyway, it's it is eight thirty. So, do you have any any questions, or is there anything that uh, I can that you would suggest that I could uh, address? Since I'm not going to be here for the next two weeks to assist you in keeping up uh, your practice to, to the best standard that you can. I. I want you. I want you to do that. Please continue to practice. Um, maybe go back to the very first question that came up this evening. The Buddha told us that any time, absolutely any time, you experience unhappiness, dissatisfaction, it is the result of desire, aversion, or attachment. And so, uh, do you all know that to be true? Do you believe that totally? Are you absolutely, completely convinced? Are you are? Good. That's very, very wonderful. Because it's easy to think about it and say, yeah, it seems true. But, you know, to really believe and understand it. But... uh, Keep that in mind. Make sure that you have no doubts about the truth of that. And then just start whenever you can. Uh, When you find yourself dissatisfied or unhappy, seeing if you can find its root. If all unhappiness and dissatisfaction is rooted in desire, aversion, and attachment, then we should be able to when we find it present, follow it to its root. So, so try doing that. Well, I'm going to miss you. I'm going to be busy, but I'll have time to miss you. 
and I look forward to seeing you when I come back and uh, have a good meditation together and we'll talk about more interesting things. So, be well, practice diligently, and I love you all. <laughs>